Good morning. This morning's Old Testament uh, scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, uh, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 7. It's found on page 11 of your Pew Bibles. This uh, reflects a time uh, when the father of Abraham had taken his sons to uh, from move them from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to uh, the, on a journey to the land of Canaan, but stopped. They stopped along the way in a place called Haran that was actually not uh, uh, the land of Canaan proper. Uh, They settled there. Then after that uh, is when uh, the time of Abram uh, starts in chapter 12. But before we read that, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another beautiful day. We thank you for the onset of a new season, uh, the season of fall. Lord, we just, as we uh, start this season, we just pray for your guidance as we go forward in a new season. And especially, we pray this morning that our hearts and our minds will be open to what you have to teach us from your holy word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Once again, starting in verse 1 of chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. That time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, 
who had appeared to him. Here ends the reading of the Old Testament. This is the missional church. Simple. In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. Great music, compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome, and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, what about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh webpage, and offering to host the world's greatest event. The church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church in the community. The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. Missional church, simple. In the United States today, there are two basic models of church that are actually growing. There's the attractional church, which he talked about how they send out these great advertisements and they try to attract people to come to their church, recognizing that everything you'll need will be in the church for spiritual growth. And so they say, hey, come to church. And their efforts and lots of resources are turned towards getting people to come to church. But the missional church is a little bit different. The missional church tries to focus on how it might equip its members to take the church into the community. Now, both models are being used by God to help grow his kingdom. Both models can can reach the lost with the love of Christ. But as I think about our church, I believe, and as I look at scriptures and how we serve a sending God, the Latin term, theological term is called missio dei, for our God sent Abraham to a land that was not his own. God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites from the evil hand of Pharaoh. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. God sent Isaiah to go and speak to the people of Israel. And of course, God sent his one and only son here to this earth to be born among us from a virgin, to grow up among us, to teach us, to heal us, and ultimately to die for us. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. Yes, we serve a sending God. And so when I think about our church and how God has uniquely wired us as a congregation, I think that our best efforts at making disciples will be found as we follow the missional church model. Although the attractional church model is fine, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, uh, last year when I was on my sabbatical uh, writing my paper and I didn't have to preach every Sunday, I was able to go to various churches within our community. I didn't, I'd heard about these churches and never been, so I went to one of the largest mega churches. It's a, it's a seeker-sensitive, uh, it's a great church of trying to do the attractional model. And I went and they were doing this sermon series called At the Movies. In fact, as I walked in, they offered me popcorn and soda to, for, for worship. 
Now, I knew I wasn't going to be tithing, so I said, no, that's all right. I won't take your uh, popcorn or soda. I figured give it to people who might be paying. So I, I sat down, and, and, I, and the worship was fantastic. The music was great. Uh, I had this cool blue lights that were going on with the worship service. It was powerful. And all of a sudden, the screen shot on, and a movie began to be shown, and it was Iron Man. Now, I had never seen Iron Man before, so I was intrigued to watch this Iron Man clip, and I was amazed at how long the clip went. It went for about 12 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes. And then... There was a scene change, and it looked like the pastor had walked onto the set of Iron Man. And he began to preach to us about how uh, this scene in Iron Man that you just saw, well, here's a, here's a Bible verse that, that ties to that scene and how he was able to build a bridge between the scriptures and the scene from Iron Man. And then they showed an, another 10, 12 minutes of Iron Man, and then he would come back on and show. And the scene changes were, were remarkable. The production was first rate. And as I left that worship service, that was the sermon. It was basically a clip of Iron Man, a quick three to five minute a clip of Iron Man, quick three, five minutes. And I left the service, and I thought, man, if I was a seeker, if I had never grown up in the church, I would have been very, very comfortable attending that church because I felt like I had just been to the movies. I mean, it was comfortable seating, a whole deal. I thought, that's amazing. This is a great place to reach people who are very far from God. It would be easy for, an, for a, a non-believer to walk into that sanctuary or into that worship space and feel very comfortable, not threatened at all. But as I think about our church and what the scriptures say about our God being ascending God. I think about the leaders that our church has been blessed with, the civic leaders, the, the community leaders that we have, uh, the way that we're all able to be a, a light of God's love in our various places of work, in our neighborhoods. I think our most effective way to reach the lost is to, is to be a missional church. We recognize that each one of us is a missionary. I have one other video I want to show you briefly that talks about what the church is really all about today. Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastor. And church is not about size or growth. Though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now because you are the church. Now go and be the church. Amen. We are the church. And as we leave this building, we go out to be a light of Christ's love, to point others to him. When you hear the word missionary, who comes to mind for you? Do you think of the Apostle Paul? You think of this guy? I mean, he was a great missionary. If you read the Bible and the New Testament, specifically Acts, you'll see these incredible stories of how Paul helped start the church in Thessalonica and Philippi and Corinth. He was an incredible missionary that God blessed his ministry in many, many ways. When you think of the word missionary, do you think of 
Maybe St. Patrick? St. Patrick was a great missionary. It's interesting. St. Patrick was, was kidnapped and he was taken to Ireland as a young man and he had to work as a slave for many years. Eventually, he was able to escape Ireland and go back to his homeland of Great Britain. But while he was in Great Britain, God gave him a vision of an Irishman and he knew that God was calling him to go back to Ireland to, to minister among the people who had previously enslaved him. And so he went with, the, with some missionary companions and they began to, to plant churches. In fact, St. Patrick is responsible for helping start 700 churches. A thousand priests were ordained under St. Patrick's leadership. St. Patrick was an incredible missionary. When you hear the word missionary, who do you think of? Maybe you think of Andrew Adair. Andrew Adair is one of our missionaries that our church sponsors. We have 23 missionaries we sponsor. In fact, Andrew Adair will be here in a couple of weeks preaching to us on World Communion Sunday, talking about what God is doing around the world today. His, his ministry is called Antioch Partners. It helps equip young people to go out and be missionaries. And it's only been around for a few years, and yet there's, he's helped uh, equip and send 50 people out into the, into the mission field. And if you, ha- if you think that God might be calling you to global missions, be sure and talk to Andrew Dare when he's here with us in a, in a couple of weeks. He's a great, fruitful missionary. When you hear the word missionary, who do you think of? You ever think of yourself? You know, according to Jesus, we've all been sent. We're all missionaries sent to be a light of his love, are we not? We don't have to go to Africa or China or Honduras to be a missionary. We just have to leave this building. According to the words of Jesus, we're all missionaries sent by God to do the work of God's kingdom. So how are we doing? Well, I imagine most of us don't think of ourselves as missionaries because we tend to think of ourselves in our occupation. We think, oh, I'm an attorney or, or I'm a doctor or I'm a nurse or I'm a judge or I'm a teacher or I'm a construction worker, or I'm a, a dentist, orthodontist, doctor, nurse, whatever it might be. We tend to think of ourselves and we identify ourselves according to our profession. And so I'm not a professional missionary, so I tend to think of myself as my profession. In fact, in the United States, we tend to compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We have Sunday and we, and we do worship on Sunday and we give God Sunday morning at least. But then Monday through Friday, well, we have our careers, right? And so we work in our offices and, and, we, and we do our job. And then Saturday, of course, is our day. It's kind of a day of recreation. That tend, tends to be the way we think about our lives. But that's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, Jesus is Lord of every day. Once we commit to following Jesus, we make the commitment that we will follow him 24 7. In fact, once we make a commitment to following Jesus and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we actually take Jesus with us wherever we go. We read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Jesus, uh, Paul writes, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus gives his final commission to his disciples, he says these powerful words. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Wherever we go, Jesus is with us, and he wants to use us to help make disciples, to help point others to him. So how do we do that exactly? How do we help point others to him in our places of work and in our neighborhood and within our own social circles, within our schools? How can we help point others to Jesus? 
To find out, open your Bibles, your pew Bibles, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to open our hearts and minds at the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired John to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would lead us. Help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. And open our hearts, O Lord, that we might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. It may be found on page 1154 of your pew Bible. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. Listen to the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now notice that this is the first Easter Sunday. Literally that morning, Peter and John and Mary had been to the empty tomb. They knew that Jesus is alive, that he is risen. In fact, Mary had seen the risen Jesus. She had clung to his very body. And yet now the disciples are still living in fear behind closed doors, afraid of the Jews. They saw what the Jews had done to Jesus and they weren't sure what the Jews were going to do to them. And so they were in hiding, living by fear and not by faith. How often are we led by fear rather than faith? How often do we allow fear to prevent us from sharing our faith with others? We know that if we say something about Jesus in our place of work or in our schools and our neighborhoods, people may look at us funny or they may think that we're being judgmental or we're Bible thumpers or something. I don't know what, but we, we, we worry about saying too much. We don't want to offend or we don't want to annoy them in any way and we don't want to get in trouble. And, and so we tend to keep things quiet when it comes to our faith, don't we? I remember when I was a consultant at uh, Pricewaterhouse in Dallas, there were two topics you were not supposed to talk about. It was kind of understood culturally we shouldn't talk about two topics, religion and politics. Those are very controversial topics. And so we weren't supposed to talk about that because if we did, well, then it could disrupt the equilibrium within the office. And, and so there's kind of, it's kind of frowned upon when we talked about those two topics. And it was funny, though, on a Monday, we could certainly talk about uh, our different alma maters and who had the best football team and whatnot and argue about that endlessly. But when it came to religion and politics, we just weren't supposed to talk about those two topics. What happened to freedom of speech? Now, I'm not saying we should thump people with the Bible, you know, in our place of work. But if people ask us what we did this past weekend, we should tell them, hey, I went to worship my church. We had a great, great time. Lord willing, you do have a good time. 
If people ask us what we did this summer, we should tell them, yeah, I went on that mission trip with my church. I should tell them about what it is we've done. In fact, here's a real quick tip. If you want to share your faith, a real easy thing to do is to begin to ask someone about their lives. Find out what they did this past weekend. Find out what they did this past summer. Find out what they did for spring break. And then as they begin to tell you what they did, they will naturally reciprocate and say, well, tell me about you. How was your summer? Or tell me about you. How was your weekend? And then you have an opportunity to tell them about Sunday and how you came to worship on Sunday or how you went to Sunday school or maybe you went on a mission trip with your church. We should never be ashamed of Jesus and our involvement in his church. In fact, Jesus tells us Quite clearly in Matthew chapter 10, 32 to 33, Jesus says this, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's tough stuff. If we deny Jesus before men, he will deny us before his Father. I doubt that any one of us would want to do that, right? But do people know that we know Jesus? We may not deny him, but do people know that we know him? They will if we show them and tell them. Jesus says, peace be with you. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Notice that twice Jesus offers that Jewish greeting, peace be with you. Uh, Shalom Elohim is what they would have said in the the Hebrew back then. And and it was a common greeting. In fact, it was so common that it began to not mean a lot. That's why in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, after Jesus tells his disciples that he's about to leave them, it's the night that he's going to be betrayed. He's telling them he's going to be going from them. He offers these words of comfort. John, chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, I give you peace. Not a passing peace like you hear, the obligatory shalom that everyone's giving to one another nowadays. It's kind of like today. We'll see someone and we're on the way somewhere and we, we wave to them and go, hey, how you doing? And we're hoping they say fine because we really don't have time to get into a long conversation, you know. And, and so they say fine and go, good, good, yeah, and you just keep on walking, right? That, that's kind of what, it's kind of obligatory greeting we have here in West Texas. Well, back then, peace be with you was kind of the thing you just said. And Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. I give you an eternal peace, not a temporal peace. I give you a peace that truly passes all understanding. I'll give you a peace that will never leave, that will surround you, that will guide you, that will guard you, regardless of your circumstances. In fact, later in that same Night, evening in John chapter 16, Jesus says this to his disciples. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in you you may have, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus never says following him means life's going to be easy. No, he says following him, it's going to be hard, but I'll be with you, I'll give you peace. I'll give you shalom, an eternal shalom that'll never leave you. When people see us in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, within our community, within our social circles, are we known as people of peace? When circumstances don't go our way, do we exhibit peace or anxiety? Are we a calming presence in our office, 
in our schools, our homes, our neighborhoods, our social circles? Are we more of an anxious presence? What's the key to exhibiting the peace of Christ? Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The key to exhibiting the peace of Christ is to make sure that we are walking in step with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit. He mentions peace as the third one. He says love, joy, peace. That's the fruit of the Spirit. As we walk in step with the Spirit, as we sow to the Spirit of God, then we will naturally exhibit the fruit of the Spirit of peace. We'll be people of peace. Not anxiety, not worry, not anger, not stress, but peace. So how can we make sure that we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit? How can we make sure that we we have a connection with the Spirit in such a way that we naturally exhibit the peace of Christ to others? If we want to walk in step with the Spirit, we need to pray and we need to celebrate. In Acts chapter 16, when the Apostle Paul goes to Philippi, you may remember the story we talked about it a few weeks ago. Paul goes to Philippi and he's arrested and he's in prison and he's flogged and he's beaten. And what does Paul do while he's in prison? Does he grumble? Does he groan? Does he moan? No, he praises God. He prays and he praises God. And all the other prisoners hear them, Paul and Silas praising God. And the jailer hears Paul praising God. Yes, Paul proves to be a man who practices what he preaches when he writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we feel ourselves becoming anxious, when, we, when things aren't going our way, we need to stop, we need to pray, and we need to praise. Rejoice in the Lord always, not sometimes. No, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But how? How can we rejoice in the midst of anxious times? How can we rejoice in the midst of troubled times? How can we rejoice when things aren't going our way? Well, like the disciples, we can rejoice when we remember that Jesus is alive. Jesus has conquered sin and death for us, and his victory over sin and death is now ours if we'll simply believe in him. As we read in verse 20 of our text, when when the disciples saw the risen Jesus, it says they were glad. Now, this Greek word for glad, Cairo, can actually be translated to say they, were, they rejoiced. They were filled with joy. When the going gets tough, we need to pause. We need to pray. And then we need to rejoice. We need to remember the reality of the resurrection, that this too will pass. No matter what it is we're going through, Christ is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And because he lives, we know that we too shall live, that death does not have the final say for those who call upon the name of the Lord. 
Yes, because of Christ's great sacrifice, our sins have been atoned for. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf. And his victory is now ours. We'll simply believe in him. As Jesus says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he asks Martha, do you believe this? Do we believe it? As we look at the scriptures, as we look at the reality of the resurrection, we can't help deny the fact that Christ has been victorious. His victory is now ours. So when we become stressed, when we become worried, we need to pray. We need to praise. The last couple of weeks have been kind of tough for me personally. I'm sure for many of you too. Our church had a very unexpected, untimely, tragic death that broke all of our hearts when Rachel Mullen Black uh, died suddenly. We had a powerful funeral here in our sanctuary for the Mullen family. Then one of the children of our church, Kaylee Howard, was, was hit by a car and, and she was unconscious and had to have brain surgery and she's got another surgery coming on Tuesday. I visited her Wednesday and, and she told me that she wanted me to tell everyone that she loves them, she's grateful for your prayers, and she misses you. Then on last Sunday, sweet Kay Stargell, 93-year-old Kay Stargell, fell in our great hall, broke her hip, had to have surgery. She's now in rehab, doing better, but, but she misses you as well. And on top of all this heartbreak and pain and sadness. I had some really tough conversations this week that left me discouraged. Now, when I feel discouraged, when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel depressed, I pray, I read God's word, and then as counterintuitive as it may seem, I will stop and I will praise God. On my phone, I've got several praise songs on my uh, iPhone here, and I'll listen to those songs. And, and this particular week, the song that I've been singing is the same song that the Mullen family chose to end Rachel Mullen Black's funeral. You probably know it. Sing it with me if you do. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to that home on God's celestial soar. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Amen. Y'all should join the choir. We could use a few more people. In a moment, we're going to leave this building with the best news the world has ever known. That Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. And because he lives, we know that we too shall live. That death does not have the final say for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord. We've got the promise and the assurance of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we have his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit, his presence with us wherever we go. And that calming presence gives us peace even in the midst of the storm. And now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is sending us out to tell others the good news of his love, of his grace of his mercy. As we leave this place, may we seek to be an instrument of his love and his grace and his mercy. And we we do that by serving others, by putting the needs of others before our own, just like Jesus did for us and going that extra mile and doing to others as we would have done to us. By loving them unconditionally and sacrificially. By expressing our love for God and for them by serving them. And I found one of the best ways we can serve others today in our fast-paced world is just to take the time to listen to somebody to listen to their story. Everybody's got a story. And then as we listen to their story, they're going to ask us about our story. And then we can tell them the good news, the story about Jesus and his great love. It's the most effective way to share your faith today 
in this postmodern world that we live in where truth is relative and based on one's experience is to tell the story of how God has made a difference in your life, how Jesus has impacted your lives because no one can deny your story. No one can deny your personal experience today. This week, how will you seek to point others to him? How will you seek to be an instrument of his grace and love in the place where you work, in your neighborhood, in your children's schools, in your social circles? Peace be with you, Jesus says. We have the peace of Christ because Jesus lives. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is present with us wherever we go. Do we point people to the love, the joy, and the peace that only Christ can bring? We will if we seek to walk and step with the Spirit each and every day by praying and praising Him. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the great gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to be for us the way, the truth, and life. We thank you, Lord, for the peace that he came, the shalom that he came to bring to each one of us. Lord, help us to exhibit that peace by your Spirit. Help us to walk in step with you by taking the time we need each and every day to pray to you, to talk to you, and to praise you. Oh, God, we praise you for the fact that you have conquered sin and death on our behalf, that this too, whatever it is we're going through, that this too will pass. That because we know Jesus, we have the assurance of eternal life. Oh Lord, by your spirit, help us to share that good news with others this week. The things that we say and the things that we do. In your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said.